Take your song handouts, flip over to page number 374 in your handout. 374. Send the light. 374, send the light. There's a call come ringing o'er the restless waves. Send the light. Send the light. There are souls to rescue. There are souls to save. Send the light. Send the light. Send the light. The blessed gospel I let it shine from shore to shore. Send the light. The blessed gospel I let it shine things that I can think of right off just the top of my head that the Bible likens to light. Uh, The first is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the light of the world. Of course, the gospel message of him dying on the cross for our sins, that certainly is referred to light. And then the Bible itself, the entrance of thy words giveth light. And you know, we're here today to hear the word of God. And so thank God we have light, but let's always remember, brothers and sisters, that our responsibility as God's children is also to shed the light to the world around us. Welcome to the service here today. Welcome all of you live stream listeners as well. Let's continue on the second verse of Send the Light. We have heard the number 64, Heavenly Love. Page number 64, Heavenly Love. Say 
I was thinking about that song about heavenly love and just thinking about, you know, that's what the world around us needs is they need love. And yet the fact of the matter is, is um, they're just, they don't know where to find real, true, genuine love. And uh, so many people have been hurt by love. And uh, sometimes they, they think that there's uh, nobody that really loves me or accepts me the way that I am. There's nobody that says they love me today, that are still going to love me tomorrow, and uh, that's a sad condition uh, that people are in, and yet we've got the promise of God's Word, uh, that God said that He loves us, uh, just like the song says that the the children sing, uh, Jesus loves me, this I know, or the Bible tells me so. Even when we don't feel like we're loved, we can trust God's Word because God has never ever lied. He's never deceived anyone. And if he says that Jesus loves you, then uh, you can rest assured that Jesus genuinely does love you. And the Lord said he'd never leave you or forsake you. All right, by way of announcements, uh, this afternoon, the youth group have an activity uh, at the Harding's house. If you have questions about that, see um, Brother Ralph or Sister Karen. Uh, This evening at 5 p.m., the chapel will be open for prayer before the service. It's just uh, come come as you will. Uh, It's not going to be led or organized, not a time for prayer requests. Just come in anywhere from 5 to 545 and spend some time in prayer, praying for the service tonight, praying for the church, praying for whatever uh, the spiritual uh, or physical needs that you know of. And then, of course, the service tonight will be at 6 p.m., followed by a 30-minute practice for the Master Club Regionals for the young people. And then Wednesday at 7 p.m., our Bible study, as well as Master Club for three-year-olds up to sixth graders. And then uh, the youth group, the teenagers, also meet every Wednesday night. And then Saturday, uh, this coming Saturday, is the Master Club Regionals over in Winston-Salem area. And then also we'll have our street ministry at noon. And then on the bulletin it says ladies prayer meeting at 7. And I've got a question mark next to that. My wife and I are talking about revamping the ladies prayer meeting. And so uh, we're, we're kicking around the idea of changing that to a once a month meeting. And so um, if you don't hear from us, if I don't change that tonight or next Wednesday, then just, uh, uh, I guess, uh, count on the fact that we'll uh, continue uh, business as usual. Uh, And then 8 p.m. next Saturday is our men's prayer meeting. And don't forget, missions conference just around the corner, April 20th through the 24th. Be praying about that, as well as plan on attending all of those services. And so uh, uh, we are looking forward to what God has for us. Sure had a great time with Brother Tim and Sister Sandy Green. The, The preaching last week was tremendous. Uh, the presence of God, uh, for me personally, anyhow, 
cannot speak for all of you, but God's Holy Spirit working on my heart, uh, it was a great meeting, and I trust and hope that uh, the Holy Spirit helped your heart as well with your needs, and uh, hopefully uh, the Lord will bless us and give us some spiritual momentum. We certainly need the grace of God in this uh, very uh, troubling day that we live in. All right, at this time, uh, let's go ahead and stand and sing Whiter Than Snow toward the back of your handout.
chapter number 14. Let's dive right in here this morning. Romans chapter number 14. And uh, I had something to say and it just, I forgot it. I really did. And that happens a lot here lately. Uh, I really do believe that there is such a thing as COVID brain. And uh, sometimes my brain seems like it's doing back to abnormal. And then other times it certainly seems worse. So I don't know what I was going to say, but I'm sure that it was funny or heartwarming or something that would make you listen to the message better. So just trust me, okay? We good? All right, amen. Romans chapter number 14. This is, uh, this is still part two. Uh, we're talking about the doctrine of faith. And two weeks ago, before we had the conference with Brother Green, I started on this lesson on faith and religious conviction. So this is actually lesson number two of part number two. And we're going to go ahead and read our text. And before we read it, I want to just kind of give you a couple of um, preface remarks. First of all, I want to confess to all of you that uh, on behalf of myself as well as, I guess, my profession, my calling, I guess, would be a more biblical term. And that is that us preachers uh, don't always handle everything the way that we ought to. And uh, I'm, not, I'm not making excuses for ministers. I believe that God puts great responsibility on people that stand up in front of others and represent the Lord. I think that's a very serious place of responsibility. And I know personally... It's a responsibility that I don't take lightly. And I, and I don't ever want to do anything that would dishonor the Lord, and I certainly don't ever want to do anything that would hurt people. I know that I've been guilty of hurting people. Sometimes it's because of telling the truth. And let's face it, that in life, sometimes the truth does hurt. 
And yet, uh, I can point to some times to my own shame that it wasn't the truth that hurt people, but it was my personality or maybe my weakness or failure. You know, preachers, when it's just like parents. Parents care about their children. And I'm sure that if you've ever raised children, that you've had times where because you care about your children, you got scared or afraid that they were going to make a bad decision or that they were going the wrong direction, they weren't listening to you, and it provoked you to not have the right spirit. And so what you're trying to tell your kids was right and true, but you didn't necessarily do it the right way or in the right spirit. Well, i got to be honest with you that preachers are prone to the same thing. And it's not always. I've known some preachers that are tyrants and that are uh, not necessarily real or sincere, and but you know that's going to happen. You know, you go, you're going to find hypocrites everywhere. Uh, if you find somebody, if you go to Walmart and the cashier really doesn't want to be working there, you're still probably going to buy your groceries, right? So they're a hypocrite. But anyhow, the bottom line is um, just like with all of our uh, relationships in life. Uh, there's right and wrong, but there's also the necessity of having grace and patience with one another. And um, if we love one another, it certainly makes it easier. If we trust one another, we can put up with one another's faults. And so this is a lesson, a message, if you will, that really is talking more about the minors than the majors. I know that. I realize that. Listen, the majors are the main doctrines and truths of the Word of God, and I would have to say that for us in this time period that we live, at the top of that major list is the gospel of Jesus Christ. What we're going to be talking about today, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I'm going to tell you right up front, there's probably some things we're going to talk about today that you may not you may not understand. They may be a little bit confusing. In fact, they may, uh, they may initially be a little bit offensive. And if that's the case, please uh, bear with me and, uh, and, and just focus on what the Word of God says and um, have an open mind. And I think that you'll find that what we're saying and teaching here today is certainly true according to God's Word. Romans chapter 14 and beginning here in verse number 1. The Bible says, Him that is weak in the faith... Receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. For God hath received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth, yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day, regardeth it unto the Lord. And he that regardeth not the day, to the Lord he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not, to the Lord he eateth not, 
and giveth God thanks. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. As you can see here, this is an admonition, this is instruction to those that are already saved, for those of us who belong to the Lord. And verse number 9 says, For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Let's pray. Father, we ask for the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit to take these truths and bring them to the hearts of each and every one of us. Lord, I pray that you'd help me to speak clearly and concisely here today. Lord, guide us and direct us. And uh, I pray, Father, that the truths presented today will be a help, encouragement, instruction, maybe even rebuke uh, to uh, uh, wherever the need is. And Lord, if there be anyone here today that is without Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, uh, Lord, I pray that they would realize that that's the most important thing. Of all the things that we talk about here today, Lord, none of them mean anything without a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. May the Holy Spirit of God bless us today. In Jesus' name, amen. A little quick review from two weeks ago. On six occasions, the Scripture admonishes Christians to be of the same mind and of one accord. Other passages praise believers when this rare occasion takes place. And believe me, it can be a rare occasion. Being of one mind does not mean that everyone is exactly the same in their beliefs, nor does it mean that everyone's conscience is affected the same. I believe that's a very important introductory remark. As I've already mentioned, uh, much of the message today is not the majors of the Scripture, but rather the minors, and yet uh, these are very important truths because the fact of the matter is, because believers, God's children, has not have not understood what we're talking about in this message, it has caused many, many problems and divisions among churches, many church splits. And I tell you what, a lot of the problem, there are people out there in the world that despise Christianity, and it's not all just because they can't handle the truth. Some of it is because those who have the truth don't live it and don't express it in a Christ-like manner. And there's nothing worse than someone who is trying or claiming to be holy and everything outward looks holy that they become, as the cliche says, holier than thou to the point that they think that they're superior and they look down their nose at everyone that hasn't reached the level of faith or conviction that they have. And I think what happens inadvertently is that in many occasions they end up doing harm to the cause of Jesus Christ and the gospel. The first point that we talked about two weeks ago were the issues of early Christianity. The Bible chronicles some issues that God's children had to deal with early on in in the church age, there were dietary laws. And of those dietary laws, you had the Jewish Old Testament dietary laws, and then you also had the pagan sacrifices. And I think that what we just read in Romans chapter number 14, referring to 
uh, he that eats meat and he that doesn't eat meat. I, I feel pretty strongly that those sacrifice, animal sacrifices to pagan deities probably played a major part in what Paul was talking about when he wrote to the, the Christians at Rome. I don't think that the issue at hand was uh, nutritional. I don't think that it was uh, being a meat eater versus being vegetarian or vegan as those are very common practices in today's culture. I think that it was a very religious issue and it had to do with either Jewish dietary laws or the pagan sacrifice. Uh, also, a, a big issue in early Bible days were the the respect of holy days, whether to have a special holy day set aside for God or whether to just treat every day alike. And uh, certainly Paul addressed that issue here in Romans 14. And then uh, the third, the, the other one that we talked about last week was the issue of circumcision. Uh, circumcision was a sign given to the Jew if uh, a male was going to literally be part of the Jewish nation, then that male had to be circumcised. And because of that, uh, not just tradition, but that covenant that God made with his people, some of the early Jewish Christians, they were confused and they thought that, well, you can't accept Christ as your Savior unless you've first been circumcised. Now, that's not true. But I think that we can all understand that a Jewish person that has been, I mean, they have read the Scripture, it's been instilled in them. Uh, I think you can understand that when when the Apostle Paul revealed that, hey, it's not about circumcision any longer, it's about Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross, I'm sure that you can uh, perhaps maybe have some compassion on those people that this was a struggle with their conscience. And then we we dove right in toward the end of two weeks ago sermon, and I didn't have a lot of time to spend on it, and that perhaps maybe is a good thing, but we talked about the issues of modern Christianity. Believers today are so ignorant of the Scriptures and so in tune with social culture that the issues that affect people today change almost daily. And I gave you a sample of some of the things that I've personally had to deal with. Some of these are things that I've had to figure out what I believe. Uh, others have been, uh, I've had to figure out as a pastor, uh, what do I preach? What do we stand for as a church? And in, in saying all of that, let me explain to you that, that convictions and standards are not adding legalism to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, if you're saved, then you're saved by the grace of God. Your salvation was a gift that Jesus Christ purchased on the cross of Calvary, and he gave you. You're saved because you received that free gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ your Lord. And so a lot of the things that are on this list, and this is just a sample, it all comes down to not what we do in order to be saved, but how we live because we are saved. Listen, the Bible teaches clearly that when we get born again, we get born into the family of God. We come into this world as a sinner. Jesus told the Pharisees, he said, ye are of your father, the devil. 
And so we come into this world naturally as being children. We have a spiritual heritage that is sinful and wicked. Our father is Satan naturally. And that's why Jesus told Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We lost that kingdom of God. We lost that righteousness when Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden. And so the entire human race fell into a lost, sinful condition. You say, why, why are we affected by Adam's sin? Well, listen, uh, God's not going to send you to hell because of Adam's sin. Be, because I guarantee you, there's not a single soul, young or old, in this auditorium today, or anyone listening on the internet, that you couldn't honestly say that there was something that you did that you knew it was wrong and yet you did it anyways. You know what you call that? You call that sin. Adam knew what he was doing was wrong and yet he did it anyways. So we can't blame Adam. Our actions and our behavior do nothing but prove that if we would have been Adam, we would have done the same exact thing. In this list, 10 different things. You've got church attendance and tithing. You know, people say preachers are just after our money. And I know some preachers are. That's all that they care about is money. And that's sad and that's a heartache. And to be quite honest with you, that's wicked if a preacher is pretending to represent God and yet they have a hidden agenda. They're just trying to get rich or get what they want. From God's people. That's evil and that's wicked and that's a shame. But just because one or two or three well-known preachers are like that, that doesn't mean that you can lump every preacher in that category. Because there are many, many ethical good men of God that they don't care about what they get from God's people. They care about what they can give. Give the truth and the gospel and love people. Religious holidays, hairstyles and hair length, dress standards, television, movie, theaters, beards, colored dress shirts, dining out on Sunday, dining at restaurants that serve alcohol, shopping choices. Well, you know, we don't shop at this place because they support abortion and so forth. And all of these are issues that, that ends up causing contention and division. And Romans chapter number 14 gives us some principles where uh, it doesn't have to cause problems. Church services, do you have pews or having a screen? You know, as I mentioned, there are literally people in our community that would think that we've gone liberal just because we're using a screen back here. And and some of you might say, yeah, I thought that all along. (laughs) And you know what? Here, here's the truth of the matter. If I was, if this church, if I was pastoring a church that, that fear that, hey, having a screen, using PowerPoint, that's, that's liberal, that's going contemporary. If I'm pastoring a bunch of people that perhaps maybe that's been drilled into them and they're uncomfortable, you know what I would probably do? I wouldn't use it. I probably wouldn't use it. I wouldn't want to do anything to keep to distract from the message. And so uh, I, there are a lot of things that, hey, it may be wrong for for one person. That doesn't mean that it's wrong for another. Inks and piercings. You know, the Bible has some principles there. 
And yet the fact of the matter is, like I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, young man that was attending this church said, Preacher, will, will I go to hell if I get a tattoo? And I said, I said, Brother, having a tattoo has nothing to do whether you go to heaven or hell. That has to do with whether Jesus Christ is your Savior. And so please, I hope that you can hear, hear my words and hear my heart that the things that we're talking about are not the things that determine whether we go to heaven or hell or not, but it all comes down to, all right, we were children of the devil, we got saved, we got born again, now we're children of God, and so if we are children of God, then we should be bearing the image, we should be behaving in a manner to where the world around us says, you know what, that looks like, that person acts like a child of God, they act like their father, Jesus said to the Pharisees, you are of your father of the devil. The reason he said that is because you're acting like your daddy. And so as God's children, we all need to accept the fact that God wants us to act and behave like our father. And our father in heaven is loving and he's merciful and he's kind, but he's also holy and he's righteous. I shared this with someone not long ago, and I can't remember who it was, but maybe it was two weeks ago in this message. I can't remember. But, you know, when I first got right with the Lord in 1986, the Lord started convicting me of a lot of things that are on this list of other things in in my life. Uh, He convicted me of how I was dressing. He convicted me of the, the music that I was listening to. He convicted me of the the movies and television programs that I was watching. He convicted me of my tobacco use and the Holy Spirit inside. And, And a lot of this, none of it had anything to do with the preacher's preaching. Uh, A lot of it had nothing to do with any Christian or my parents, including saying, Randy, what you're doing is wrong. It had to do with the fact that my heart had gotten right with the Lord And the Holy Spirit, my Heavenly Father, started speaking to me about these things. And things that I used to love and I would never even think about giving up, when the Holy Spirit started saying, Son, this doesn't please me. This doesn't honor me. My heart was right with the Lord. I I had already said, God, I want to be on your side. I I, I don't want to be doing this like a rebellious child. I I want to trust you and I want to honor you. And so when my heart turned toward him, a lot of those things were were fairly easy to give up. And I will say this, I, I had had enough tobacco use in my teenage years that uh, there was some physical and, and maybe even emotional addiction. I craved that stuff for a long time. And it took a while to get that out of my system. And now that doesn't tempt me. A lot of the things that used to be a temptation, they're not. But see, many of these things were all outward things. And within about a year of being right with God and God cleaning up all these outward things, I, I, uh, I, I started acting or feeling in a very typical way, and I've seen this among God's children, I started getting a little bit proud. And I started thinking that, you know what, I got this figured out, what's wrong with everybody else? 
And I got proud, uh, full of pride, and I started looking down on others. And instead of realizing that, hey, it's not been long until I was just like them, and I started feeling a little bit superior. I started being a little bit critical. And I started having the wrong heart, even though outwardly I think that my, my behavior was right, but the problem was inward in my heart. God had cleaned, up, cleaned me up outwardly, and I thought, you know, I'm doing pretty good here. But I didn't realize that inside right here and inside right here, it was still pretty filthy. And God was, you know, the old song that says, God's still working on me. I didn't realize, I thought that, man, I'm doing really good here. And now I look back 35 plus years later, and I realize that God hadn't even made a dent in transforming my life. I had not, I wasn't, I was so still so far from being Christ-like back then, even though I was deceived into thinking I was doing pretty good. That's a common process, just like children going through their, you know, adolescence, their teenage years, and so forth. There's a growing process, and it's not all in outward behavior. A lot of times it comes down to inward attitudes and, and, uh, and beliefs and, and feelings and so forth. That's all part of the Christian life. And so I want to get now into lesson number two of this particular topic. And I want to see from the Word of God how we can keep these issues from becoming problems. The biggest problem causer in the church is pride. Let me say that again. The biggest problem causer in the church is pride, just like the biggest problem in your marriage is pride. I know what you're thinking. The biggest problem is my spouse. No, like like the old cliche, it takes two to tango. And, you know, sometimes your spouse may be, may be the one that really, I guess, cause the the problem outwardly, but you may be the one that's inwardly provoking your spouse because of your pride and your selfishness. Now listen, when you're provoked, that doesn't justify how you respond. But what I'm trying to say here is that the Bible says quite plainly and clearly in Proverbs 13, verse number 10, only by pride cometh contention. If you have contention, that doesn't mean you're having a knockdown, drag-out fight. It may just mean that there's friction or a bad spirit or a bad attitude. Only by pride cometh contention. If you've got friction and contention, mark it down. The problem is pride. And it may be yours or usually, you know whose pride it is? Everybody's. Everybody's. Because, you know... (laughs) There, if, we, if we're humble, people that are around us, our spouse, our families, our church members, or so forth, if someone will be humble, you may be able to stop the contention, even though the other person may be full of themselves and may be selfish and self-centered, and they may be trying to cause the contention, 
But if we will live Christ-like and have a Christ-like humility, then we can uh, we have the potential of diffusing that bomb, so to speak. Pride is not always arrogancy. Sometimes we just chalk it down, well, I'm not proud. You may think, well, I'm not strutting around full of myself. Listen, there's different forms of pride. It's not always arrogancy. Believe it or not, one of the major sources of pride, are you ready? Is fear. Fear is a major producer of pride. Listen to what Revelation 21, end of the Bible says this in verse number 8. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Uh, I don't want the second death, do you? Someone once said, listen, if you are born once, you're going to die twice. You're going to die physically, and then you're going to die spiritually when God casts you into the lake of fire. But if you're born twice, if you're born physically, and then born again spiritually, you get saved, you're only going to die once. That's going to be your physical death. I thank God I only have to worry about one death, and that's the death of this body and it going in the ground. But praise the Lord, it's going to resurrect. It's coming out of there one day because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Notice in this, this verse here that I'm showing to you that being fearful is categor, it's categorized right in there with abominable and murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars. You say, what's the Lord saying? Listen, being fearful. You know, I wonder how many people will end up in this lake of fire just because they were afraid to trust God. Maybe they are afraid that, hey, I'll end up looking like a fool. Uh, God won't, if I trust Him to save me, then nothing will change. He won't actually do it. I know some people that they don't want to trust God because they want to, they want to do something their self for their own salvation. That's certainly pride. There are others, many, that say, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna follow God or accept Jesus Christ because I'm afraid of what people will think of me. I'm afraid that my friends and my buddies or my family will reject me because I accepted Christ as my Savior. That fearful thing, that is human pride. That's, that's the human nature saying, look, I, I just care about myself and I'm going to do everything I can to take care of myself. You know, have you ever as a parent watched your children try to live independent from you knowing, knowing that they're just going to cause themselves harm? You know, and, and I know this is a worn out illustration, but it's just so perfect. Johnny, don't touch that hot stove eye. And, and you know what Johnny's going to want to do? As soon as you tell him don't do it and you're not looking, Johnny's going to try to, you know, sneak in there and reach up there and touch that hot stove eye. And, and if you watch that happen, it's like, 
You know, first of all, it's like, don't touch that. And then you see Johnny trying to sneak over there and reach up there. No, don't do that. You get you get a little bit worked up and then you get frustrated because it's like, why won't Johnny listen to me? I'm not trying to control Johnny. I'm trying to protect Johnny. And listen, that is the same human nature that we all have. That fearfulness that, hey, I'm, I'm just worried about what other people think of me. They're going to think that I'm letting God control me and I'm no longer independent. I no longer have liberty. And we think that who we are is going to be lost in, in, in Christianity or in religion. And all of that is the deception of the of Satan because he wants to take as many as he can of the human race. He wants to take you into the lake of fire with him. Now listen, we're not saying that we should never worry about what people think of us. The issue is that all of our fears should be of less importance than our fear of God. And what he thinks of us. Listen, I really the fact of the matter is, is as a child of God, we shouldn't be worried about what people think of us. We shouldn't have worry about our reputation. We should worry about our testimony. Our reputation is, what do you think of me? My testimony is, what do you think of my Savior? And so we should live in a life where we care about our testimony, but not primarily our reputation. Because listen, God's children throughout all of human history have not always been the most liked and revered in any culture. Now here in America, we have a little bit, especially here in Statesville, North Carolina, if you claim to be a Christian, chances are you're probably not going to get a whole lot of persecution. People are you're going to get a lot of people admiring you for that. But in human history and in other geographical places, that's not always the case. Listen, we, we go out every Saturday and we hold up Scripture signs that say, ye must be born again. We have signs that talk about Jesus Christ and that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We have signs from the Scripture trying to point people toward God. And a lot of times we get a lot of people that drive by, they honk their horn, they say, yeah, they're, they're all for what we're doing. Every now and then, we get some real vile stuff. Not only sign language, but sometimes they roll the window down and they yell pretty vile stuff at us. But that's not the majority. That's the minority. For the most part, we get, we're pretty well received in this area. But there are places in the USA that we could go and do the exact same thing that we do every Saturday, and we're not going to get many thumbs up. We're going to get more of the vile response than we get the encouraging response. And that's just the reality of it. I'm kind of saying that we're spoiled in this area. And because we're spoiled, we take some things for granted. And this, this kind of mentality has crept in to where Christians think that for me to be a good Christian, I have to be kind of, um, I have to be well respected, well, well respected. I, I, and I don't mean in a, I guess I mean it in, um, 
People have to approve of me. I don't want to be weird. I don't want to be different. I want to kind of be cool and because I'm a Christian. And sometimes those two ideas, they just don't mesh. It's like oil and water. Now, I don't think it would be wise to go out and try to be weird or odd. You know, I think that Christians ought to be modest and Christians ought to uh, just as Paul said, let your moderation be known unto all men. We shouldn't be uh, behaving ourselves or conducting ourselves in a manner that says, hey, look at me. I think we should somewhat blend in. I think that Jesus and the disciples somewhat blended in to their culture. But the fact of the matter is, is that we need to worry about what God thinks of us rather than what any human being thinks of us. Proverbs 29, verse 25 says, The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. And so for the next 10 or 15 minutes, I want to give you the six basic principles that I see here in Romans chapter number 14 that I believe will help us keep these issues from turning into problems. First of all here, number one, you need to know when it, when it is appropriate to judge or despise. Now, if you're not really familiar with the entire Bible, then you may be sitting there saying, wait a minute, it's always wrong to judge or to despise. Well, the fact of the matter is, and it is a fact, that that is not the truth at all. Judging is not wrong. In fact, I can show you from the Word of God that not judging is wrong. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 1, He said, Judge not that ye be not judged. But the issue here was hypocrisy, people judging that were being hypocrites or that they were judging too harshly. Because here's what Jesus said in John 7 and verse number 24. He said, judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. And so he's not, there's different ways to look at this judging. A lot of the people that are judging are judging people. And the Lord's, listen, only God can judge people. But we still, as God's children, we have to make judgments as to what's right and what's wrong. Now, that doesn't mean that we put ourselves in the position of a judge and we strike the gavel and that we cast sentence. So that's not what the Lord's talking about. He's talking about discerning. Listen, if we're never supposed to judge anything, then listen, let me know if you're going to be approaching a busy intersection. Because I don't want to be anywhere near it if you're totally against judging. Because when you approach that busy intersection and there's a stop sign or there's a green light or a yellow light or a red light, I certainly hope that you are making a judgment as to how to proceed or which direction that you need to go. And so that's what the Lord Jesus is saying. And people that have come across this statement, judge not that ye be not judged, uh, have just lumped that just with a blanket, and basically what they're saying is that you should never ever tell me that something that I'm doing is wrong. Now, 
for, for Christians, please pay attention to this. When and if you live holy, you will see others, excuse me, you will see things that others don't see. But please be careful not to allow your perspective to make you judgmental and proud. The Lord Jesus didn't. He lived holy. And listen, there were times when Jesus uh, Jesus would tell people what they needed to hear. He, he would let them have it. He would rebuke people for thinking, speaking, or acting wrong. But that doesn't mean that he was being unchristlike because everything that Jesus did was Christ-like. Remember what he told the woman that was taken in, in the act of adultery? He said, neither do I condemn thee. But a lot of times people leave the last part of that statement out. He said, go and sin no more. So Jesus was basically telling her, what you did was sin. But I'm not going to condemn you. I'm going to be merciful. And so go and fix it. He, he wasn't saying stoner, killer, like the Old Testament called for. He said, I'm not going to condemn you. Go and sin no more. And I believe that he certainly knew her heart, that she, she was sorry for what she did, and she was repentant. The problem in modern Christianity today is we want God's forgiveness. We want God's restoration and his approval, but we don't want to be sorry for anything that we do. We just want God to accept our unholiness. And so please, believer, be, be careful when you live holy. Holiness should not cause us to have an unholy spirit or uh, attitude toward people. It should, uh, true holy living should make us more Christ-like in our behavior as well as our treatment of others. Secondly, excuse me, let's read here verse number three. I should back up what I'm saying with the word of God. Uh, verse number three, let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth, yea, he, is, uh, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. And so clearly here, folks, we, we need to know when it's appropriate to judge or despise. Listen, you know, when I, when I read the news or, or um, watch the news and I hear of some, uh, some horrible act that somebody did to another person, especially when people harm children and, and it's not right, listen, I'm going to tell you right up front, I, I despise those people. I get angry. And I think they ought to stop. That is wicked and that is wrong. And, you know, if, if, if I have any control over any of that, I'm going to do whatever I can to stop that person from sinning, not only against God, but against that child. So, yeah, I, I despise that. But, you know, somebody that maybe doesn't dot their I or cross their T religiously like me, listen, that is not appropriate or right to despise that person. Right here in Romans chapter number 14, God gives us that balanced approach. He's not saying throw holiness out the window. He's saying live holy, 
but know how to treat others uh, while you're living holy. Number two, number two, be fully persuaded in your own mind. Look at verse number five once again. One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Listen, if you have a special religious day and you, you, you feel like that you ought to observe that or, or whatever you think, then, then do that. But be fully persuaded in your own mind. Now, now here's the problem, and I've, I've been on, no doubt I've been on both ends of this, that sometimes when we're fully persuaded, then we just assume that it's our job to fully persuade everyone around us. I've had people that, hey, I didn't see something the same way that they do, and when they recognize that, it's like they make it their life's agenda to try to influence me or to straighten me out. Now, I'm not saying that that's always wrong, but you know what? When, when, you, when you talk to a, a brother or a sister in Christ and you express a concern, you know, hey, I'm, I'm concerned about you. And how, what they do with that is between them and God. You maybe, maybe you, you, you just were concerned and you wanted to help. Then speak your mind, or if they ask, listen, here's another thing too. If you ask the preacher or you ask someone, what do you think about such and such or such and such, and they answer you, don't get mad at them for telling you something that you disagree with. You ask, right? And I've had people get mad at me. It's like, I would have never, I would have never told you what I thought about that if you hadn't have asked, because it's none of my business. It's between you and God. So don't ask someone and then bristle or get upset at them because they told you what they think. But, but here's the issue. Being fully persuaded in your own mind. The problem is, is that too many of God's people have insecurity in what they believe and what they do because they don't know what the Bible says or they haven't really thought about it. They just, it's like, well, I want to do what I want to do. I don't care what the Bible says. Being fully persuaded. There's something secure about being fully persuaded. If the way that you're living and all of these issues that we're talking about, and then some, if you're fully persuaded that what you're doing is because of what the Bible says, not because of worrying about what anybody else thinks, there's great liberty and freedom in being fully persuaded. You don't have to try to get everybody on your bandwagon because you know that this is a personal thing This is something that God showed you what he wants you to do. And you know that if God wants somebody else to do the same thing, he's fully capable of speaking to their heart just the way that he showed you something. Number three, do what you do unto the Lord rather than unto men. Verse number six, we've already read it, but he that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord, and he that regardeth not the day to the Lord he doth not regard it. What you do, do it unto the, unto the Lord. Listen, there are some things that are personal between us and our Lord. 
We don't have to. It's like, listen, I've got things in my life that God spoke to me about that I either do or I don't do. But these are personal things. I would never tell you that that's what you ought to do because I don't have a principle necessarily in the Word of God to say, hey, here's what you ought to be doing. Now, keep in mind, these are the minors, not the majors. And I'm not saying there aren't areas where the preacher or any believer doesn't have full God-given right and responsibility to tell you, hey, that's wrong, thus saith the Lord. John the Baptist did it. Nathan the prophet did it. The apostle Paul did it. Every one of God's men have had times where they've said, that's not right, you need to fix that. But that's the majors. We're not talking about majors here. We're talking about some of the minors. Number four. Look at verse number 12. It says, So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Listen, what we need to do is we need to focus on our personal accountability. Listen, I'm not going to, I'm going to give an account for what I tell you from this pulpit. I'm going to give an account from what I, for what I teach and how I pastor, but that's still a personal thing. You're going to have to stand before God individually and give an account for your own life. And I'll have to do the same thing. And so the sooner that we recognize that and realize that, that, hey, we can only do so much to help other people. When it's all said and done, we're all going to have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Number five, and I'm almost done here, exercise charity over selfishness. Verse number 13 says, Let us not therefore judge one another any more, but judge this rather that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat... Now walkest thou not charitably, destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Let not then your good be evil spoken of. Skip down to verse number 19. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace. Listen, if you've been saved any length of time, and if you've been around church, let's face it, all these issues that we're talking about, that we see that they end up causing contention and divisions and friction and all of that. God's saying, listen, we're going to have some areas where we differ. There's going to be some minors. And if we'll put into practice the principles of Romans 14, then we can have our differences without having contention. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. That's the bottom line here, folks, that charity should always trump selfishness. Look at verse number 21. It's, excuse me, verse 20. For meat destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. It is good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. You see that, folks? That's charity. God's telling his children, 
Look, there's some things that you can do that in and of themselves, they're not sin. But they become sin when your behavior becomes a stumbling block to other people. Now, once again, this eating of meat is probably associated with meat sacrificed to idols. But but notice, and I think that it, it would be good for me to draw attention to this. Notice that it says in verse 21, it talks about that a, a Christian shouldn't drink wine if it causes a brother to stumble or is offended or is made weak. Wouldn't you agree? I, I don't think that there's anyone that can argue the case that that isn't potentially a major stumbling block. Now listen, I know from the Word of God, that there's two different kinds of wine in the Bible. There's grape juice, and then there's alcoholic beverage. And if you study that out, you're going to see that there's a difference, and that most of the justification for wine drinking and social drinking, that that's from the ignorant believer who doesn't know the Bible and doesn't see that there's a, a difference. And, and that's clear, by the way, if you study it for yourself. But even if that's not the case, set that truth aside. Let's say that every time you see the word wine in the Bible, it's talking about alcohol. God says here that if that's going to be a stumbling block or cause problems, you shouldn't ever touch it. And, and listen, I, I can certainly make the argument as someone who has been burned by that drug and it's caused me problems. It almost destroyed my life. I mean, I was this close to it destroying my life. And listen, I've been serving the Lord for over 35 years. That would have all, I was this close to that beverage destroying me as a 19-year-old kid. I thank God that God helped me and I got right with the Lord. And I hate the stuff. I hate it. I'm against it. I believe the Word of God is against it. Proverbs 20, verse number 1 says, Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. See, that's the whole counsel of God. The people who are proponents of social drinking, that, hey, it's okay to be a Christian and to drink a little bit here and there, they don't tell you the whole story. They just pick and choose what they want to hear, what fits their lifestyle. Let me move on here for sake of time. All right, number six, and this is my last point, and that is this, keep your convictions. Don't get rid of your convictions. Live holy, righteous, live separated, dress different, talk different, uh, go to different places than the lost people go, watch different things, have better entertainment choices, all of those things. Keep your convictions, but put away your cookie cutters. Don't think that everybody should be just like you. Look at it with me in verse 22 and verse 23. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith, for whatsoever is not of faith is sin." The problem does not come down to liberty versus standards. The problem is when we think that those who don't see it the way that we see it are wrong. Listen, you'd be a whole lot better off 
to live a lifestyle and have a demeanor toward people that makes people want to follow your behavior than to go around and just telling everybody, you're, you know, that's not going to be the best way to try to help people. Listen, I, I personally, this is just my personal conviction, is that I, I just don't have a problem. It doesn't bother my conscience to eat at a restaurant that serves alcohol. However, and I know that I'm probably preaching to some people here today that you, that's your, that's your conviction. That's your standard that you're not going to patronize a restaurant that serves alcohol. I respect that. Listen, I will say this. I, if, if a, a restaurant serves alcohol, but has, and has a bar atmosphere, I'm not going to go to those places because they make me uncomfortable. I don't like being around that. I, I strongly try to avoid that. But I totally respect and appreciate those who are against going to restaurants that serve alcohol. I totally respect it. I totally appreciate it. I say, praise the Lord. I'm just being honest that it just, I, it, it doesn't convict me. Okay? But if it does you, don't go there. And listen, if I say, let's go have some lunch, and that's your conviction, just all you have to do is just say, Pastor, would you care if we don't go to... And I say, absolutely. I wouldn't, I wouldn't dream of trying to force my conviction on you. If you have a higher standard, listen, don't you agree that we all should gravitate toward the higher standard, not the lower one? Now, if you have that conviction, and, and I respect that and I appreciate that, but if you're, if you're upset or if you get angry at people that don't share your conviction, then let me say this. You better be consistent. Because grocery stores sell alcohol also. And so if you're going to be like that, I don't go to restaurants that serve alcohol. All right, that's fine. That's okay. But just be consistent if you're going to emanate or, or project your convictions on other people. In conclusion, the Bible, I believe that there's a doctrine of expediency. There are things that in and of themselves are not wrong for believers to participate in or to do. But that doesn't mean that doing those things is expedient, that God wants you to do it or that God blesses it. Now, for sake of time, I, I, we're not going to read 1 Corinthians 10, 23-33. I'd planned on it, but I got a little bit lengthy here today. But you're welcome to, to read it. I believe that the point that I'm getting ready to make is not totally dependent upon reading that passage. If, uh, if, uh, if I haven't made my point here today in this sermon, then certainly jot this down and go and read it for yourself. But I will say this, and this is what Romans 10 verse number 17 says. It says, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Strong faith 
is when your conscience and the Bible are consistent with each other. The way that I'm living, the way that my conscience tells me, it is consistent with the truth of the Word of God. That's what strong faith is all about. And when you have strong faith, then you're not going to be as prone to judge or despise others or feel threatened by those who aren't exactly like you. It's going to solve all of those problems. Why? Because the problem is not with all of the outward issues and convictions. The problem comes down to the heart. And I think that there's a lot of division and problems in families and in churches because churches are full of people that have never, either never been saved or have never truly given their heart to the Lord. And so the preacher or the, the leaders in the church are trying to teach everyone how to behave and it's teaching them to do things that their heart's not right with God and it's like, I don't want to do it. And so it becomes friction. Oh, that church, all, all they talk about, <laughs> all they talk about is how we dress or money and all of that. And so they just grab a hold of that one little thing that's taught from the Word of God and they don't take the whole thing in its context. Now, I'm going to close with this verse. All the things that I've said here this morning, I know and confess that they can be very controversial. And as always, I try to be transparent. I try to be sincere. I don't have all the answers. I'm still a student. I'm still learning and I'm still growing. But the things that I know from the Word of God and the things that God's shown me as a Christian and as a pastor, I'm going to do the best that I can to instruct you, to teach you what the Word of God says, even though I understand that these areas are very controversial. I think we could all agree that Probably easily, nine out of ten pastors don't even go here because it just causes them too many problems. I appreciate that I pastor a church where people love the Word of God and they want what the Word of God says and it certainly makes it easier. But here's the bottom line. Whether it be what you drink, what you listen to, how you dress, whether all of these issues... Here's what it comes down to. And please look at the screen. 1 Corinthians 10, verse number 31. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. If we would just make that our motive, our motivation, if that would be why we do what we do, then it would certainly help us to mind our business It would help us to know when it's okay to try to help someone, to get outside of our own little business and try to help someone. It'll teach us how to value what God values and and keep our priorities in the right order. I, I don't want to become a Pharisee, but I don't want to be a liberal either. I don't want to become all legalistic and be all about standards and convictions and crack the whip and tell people what to do. Listen, I'm not interested in controlling you. I have a hard enough time figuring out by the grace of God how to control my own life. Not interested in all of that. But I'll tell you what I am interested in. That we as a church 
and that we as God's children, that we live lives that truly honor and glorify Him. And we can find out how to do that just by making this book, this King James Bible, the final authority in all matters of faith and practice. The answers are right here. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your word, giving us truths to live by. I thank you, Lord, that I've got a book that uh, isn't just a, a book that I carry to church as a religious token, but Lord, it is filled with the written words of a living and a holy God. And I thank you, Lord, for instructing us. I thank you above all for the Lord Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins. Lord, for saving us and changing our lives and coming in, uh, filling us with your Holy Spirit. And I just pray, Father, that the things that have been said here today, Lord, that you would help them, uh, take them to the hearts and minds of every listener. Uh, Lord, if I've said anything that is um, contrary to your word, anything that's displeasing to you, my prayer is, is that those words would be totally forgotten. But Lord, if I've said anything that's right and true, I pray that the Holy Spirit would cause those words to echo in the hearts and minds of every listener. Lord, that we would take a look at our own life, and that we would live and walk holy, but we'd be doing it for the right reason, and we'd be doing it with the right attitude. And Lord, that we would be helping, be used of you to draw other people into righteous living rather than pushing them away. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for being our perfect example of these truths. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to ask you to remain seated, heads bowed and eyes closed, and pianists will play softly. If you have a need you'd like to talk to the Lord about it, why don't you just come down to old-fashioned altar, come right on up front here and bow and talk to the Lord, make a decision, make a commitment, don't be shy about that, just slip out of your seat and come on down here and pray, pray where you're at, it doesn't matter to me, you just, you know what you need to do, I, I know that these issues, they become problems. And, and one of the problems in modern Christianity is that people just think, just throw all of the issues out and just say, well, I'm just going to live however I want. And they don't realize that there's problems on both sides. There's people who live worldly and wickedly and then others that are judgmental and critical. Both are equally wrong. You're saved. Does your life and lifestyle, does it bring glory and honor to Jesus Christ? Or is it a stumbling block to other people? How about your spirit, Christian? Are you living outwardly holy, doing the right things, but inwardly you've allowed pride to creep in and feeling like you're superior to others, looking down at people that haven't got to the point where you are. I think that happens to all of us. We 
we forget where we used to be. We think that we've just always been like this, not realizing that it took God 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 75 years to get us where we are today. Wherever you're at, just get on track and start moving forward. Get into the Word of God. Get faithful to church. Listen to the Holy Spirit. let's all stand to our feet. Praise the Lord. Appreciate you being here in church today. I'd like to ask Brother John Stair if he would close us in prayer. When he's finished praying, then you are dismissed. I hope to see you tonight. Services at 6 o'clock. Prayer room will be open at 5. Please don't forget that and uh, look forward to seeing you this evening. God bless you.